Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. It's hard to believe that Canada Day is less than a week away. With celebrations across Canada being held virtually, how will you be celebrating this year? Is it with your bubble, socially distancing with friends and family, maybe not celebrating at all? That's the question I'm asking over on the What She Said Facebook page today. So be sure to head over to leave your answer and maybe get a little creative inspiration from others. While you're thinking about that, I hope you'll kick back and listen to today's show. While school may have officially just ended, many parents are already stressing about Labor Day with the province's plan, or lack thereof, released this week. Laura Walton, president of CUPE's Ontario School Board Council of Unions, that represents 55,000 education workers in Ontario, joins me to discuss. We are grenaded dreaming today and learning more about the Spice Island for those who are making travel plans in anticipation of vacations being given the green light. Anne Brody was so excited to join me for this week's show because she has a list of absolute can't-miss movies and shows you'll want to catch right away. We all joke about the quarantine 15 with our friends and family, but is emotional eating a good or bad thing? You might be surprised to hear the answer. Christine McPhail from the Hopewell Eating Disorder Support Center joins me to talk about this. Yashi Murphy from Parenting to Go is here to share some creative and fun ways to keep kids under 12 busy all summer long without breaking the bank or losing your sanity. And finally, while many of us are tempted to reach for hot dogs, slushies, and creamy potato salads over the summer, they're definitely not the best choice nutritionally. Shauna Thomas joins me to share some smart swaps and a challenge the whole family can participate in. I'm so happy you're here. Let's hear what she said right now on 105.9 The Region. What's your plan for tomorrow? Are you a leader or will you follow? Are you a fighter or will you cower? It's our time. Take back the power. What's your plan? Back to school stress typically doesn't start to kick in until sometime in August, but nothing is normal in 2020, and parents and educators are already concerned about how public education will look come Labor Day. Joining me today is Laura Walton, president of CUPE's Ontario School Board Council of Unions, that represents 55,000 education workers across the province in all four school systems. Thanks for joining me today, Laura. Thanks for having me. So the province's announcement last week on how school could look in the fall has left a lot of parents scratching their heads. What is the general feeling uh, amongst educators and the boards right now? Uh, I think amongst educators and the boards right now, they're feeling like it's all fallen on their lap and there is a real lack of provincial directive. Um, as to what needs to be done. So I think uh, folks are ready to roll up their sleeves and work together to make sure it's going to happen. But it's also really hard to predict what September is going to look like when we're still in, in June. Yeah, we don't know where the, we don't know if our numbers are going to rise, if we're going to get a second wave. And so that's a lot of variables for you to have to uh, think about. There is a lot of variables and, and we're dealing with a lot of, um, uh, it, there's a lot of diversity, right? Uh, both geographically, uh, linguistically, there's a lot of things we need to consider. So when it comes to a mixed model, uh, like the government is suggesting, uh, what does that, what do you think that will shape up like? So, you know, I understand the need for the mixed model. You know, I understand the need for, you know, a reduced cohort. Um, I'm just not sure how it's going to work. Uh, and the, one of the concerns that we have is even childcare for when students are not in school. Um, you know, what does that look like? And, you know, how does that play out for folks? Um, I also think that, you know, one of our concerns that we have is also looking at the services that are going to be needed um, and how is that going to be funded? Because right now school boards are being funded uh, for what they were funded last year with no consideration for additional cleaning, with no consideration for additional staffing uh, in order to provide supports, and no consideration for additional transportation in order to get students to school safety. With current funding then, obviously, these mixed models are not sustainable. And just as, you know, just before this pandemic hit, we were looking at, we were dealing with strikes. So yes. where are we at now 
uh, with the conversation happening between the teachers and the government? So, you know, I represent education workers, and so we had um, our collective agreement settled in November, and so we turned our minds more to supporting um, our teaching colleagues. But my understanding at this point is that all central agreements have now been ratified, so that should be good to go. Key point, though, is that there are local agreements that need to be ratified as well, and that's going to be uh, a little bit more difficult as people are trying to do it during a pandemic and trying to bargain while using Zoom. So uh, there is some, some challenges there as well. Um, but, you know, I think then add to it that we have all of this and then we're going to try and figure out how to do smaller classes because of COVID, all of that stuff. There's a lot of stuff that's going to have to be unpacked in the next two months in order to be ready to welcome everyone back. So a lot of us are now, I mean, it's a weird summer break to begin with, but your summer break is going to be even weirder. So what does uh, the next couple of months look like for you and the boards as you plan? So um, right now, our key focus is building together some research on what we need to do. So we need to be really talking to our health and safety people um, because our working conditions are children's learning conditions. So we need to be making sure that we have everything safe and healthy for them to return. And then we need to be working with superintendents. We need to be working with directors uh, to figure out what does this look like and how do we... Um, ensure that this is going well because I think one of the key things that we keep pushing is that we have to get this right because we cannot afford to get it wrong. Absolutely. I think a lot of parents are going to be obviously checking in every single day to say where this is at because we're all confused as to what's going to happen in September. So where can people go to find out more uh, to keep on top of all of the developments yeah. as the next two months go? Definitely. So one thing that I would caution people is that this is ever evolving. And, um, you know, I used to make a joke when this first started and I would give everybody the date and say, you know, as of June 24th, this is what I know, because June 25th, I'll wake up to something different. Um, so I think it's our following along uh, through social media. So I know you can follow us um, at OSBCU CSCSO on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, I would highly recommend following qpcupe.on.ca. Uh, um, where we provide information not just on the education workers, but also long-term care, hospital workers, municipal workers, and social services, uh, universities as well. Um, and then I think it's also good to even follow along with the Ministry of Education website. Uh, this ministry is well known for putting out information uh, pretty quickly and typically on Friday afternoons. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, it's always good for you to be following along there. But uh, yeah, definitely follow us, follow us on OSBCU CSCSO and we can help you out there with as much as we know. Uh, and then also be reaching out to your local school boards, taking a look on your local school board websites. Uh, I think that's going to be one of the things that school boards have learned is that that's become a touch point for parents. Okay. And I encourage everybody to go over and listen to uh, the longer 30 minute podcast that we recorded separate from this, where we went into a little more in detail, sort of uh, what teachers are thinking and what, you know, you're thinking in terms of kids with special needs about the Black Lives Matter movement yes. uh, and really how this pandemic is shaping education uh, in the next year. Uh, so thank you so much for joining you're me. You're welcome. Today. We'll be in touch as we get closer to September. Sure. Yes, we'll give you an update. Thanks, Candice. Bye. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Our wanderlust continues on what she said, and today we are Grenada Dreaming. Joining me all the way from Grenada today is Renee Goodwin, Marketing Manager of Grenada Tourism. And from Grenada originally, but a current resident of the six, is Seku Stroud, Director of Sales for the Grenada Tourism Authority. Welcome to the show, Renee and Seku. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, Candice. So we have met and we've chatted before, and believe me, Grenada is already high on my list to visit once travel opens up. Uh, so I've been Grenada dreaming for a long time, but for those who don't know a lot about the island, 
let's just start with the basics. Where is Grenada located? Um, I can take this one. Um, so Grenada is in the Eastern Caribbean. We are about a four and a half, five hour flight from Toronto. And we are all the way at the end of the island chain. So we're about 90 miles north of Venezuela. So we're very close to South America. Um, we are located 12 degrees north of the equator. So that means wow. weather all year round. So I was just going to say, for, for snowbirds in Canada, that sounds like a dream come true, that so close to the equator. <laughs> it, it really is. And because of our positioning geographically, we're below the hurricane belt also. Grenada is a year-round destination, and we welcome visitors just the same. So what do you, why do you think it would be, should be one of the top places people look at to travel? Well, first of all, I'd like to say that the people in Grenada are very warm and friendly. I know in the industry it may seem cliché, but in Grenada, we actually live it. On any given day, you can walk on the street and anyone would approach you if you look lost and ask if you need assistance with anything. If you were a guest on the island, um, lots of food and the food is absolutely amazing. The scent of the spices literally would blow your breath away. It is so awesome. Like the Grenada is the spice of the Caribbean. So the island literally smells like spices. All right, and because of the spices and the fresh herbs that we have in Grenada and the perfect soil, everything is fresh and the food is amazing. So for all the foodies who are interested in coming to Grenada, come to Grenada, you're not going to be disappointed. Last year, our Grand Dance Beach was voted the best beach in the world. And I will say that again. Our Grand Dance Beach, which is three kilometers of pristine white sand, was voted the best beach in the world by Condé Nast Travelers Magazine. So all the beach lovers come to Grenada. And it's only five hours away from Canada. So it's not a long trip whatsoever. Grenada is safe and we're below the hurricane belt. The food is amazing. It smells delicious. The people are great. And we're just welcoming everyone to the island. So you have me at food. But the show is called What She Said. So, yes. And we have discussed this personally between us. Because, you know, I travel alone or with friends. And from... From a woman's perspective, uh, Grenada is very safe, correct? Yes, we, we very much encourage all of our visitors to leave their resort, go and explore on your own, rent a car, immerse yourself in local activities, you know, go to our local festivals, do the things that locals are doing, meet them, make friends with them. They will invite you to their house for dinner and cook for you. Um, no, Grenada, Grenada is an extremely, extremely safe destination. Um, I have lived in Grenada most of my life. Um, as a woman, obviously, and I can tell you 110% Grenada is an extremely safe destination. And that is one of our major, major, that's one of the best things about Grenada. You really, you don't have to worry about anything when you come here. You know, you just come here and you just have a good time. You don't have to worry about your personal safety. You don't have to worry about any of that sort of thing. So if somebody's coming and say the beach is not their thing, you know, sitting still is hard. I may be talking about myself. Uh, what, what is it, what is there to do that's adventure in Grenada? Ooh, Grenada's, gosh, Grenada has so much stuff to do. Um, like I said, I've been living in Grenada pretty much my whole life. And there are things in Grenada that I still have not done that are still on my list of things to do. We have excellent, excellent hiking trails. Um, you can go hiking through the rainforest and discover waterfalls. You can discover boiling springs, sulfur springs. Um, you know, just lots of, there's lots of nature. Grenada is a very lush island, um, particularly in our interior. Actually, one ninth of our landmass is preserved as national parks. Um, we have great bird life here as well. So a lot of people like to come here um, to bird watch as well. So lots of hiking. We have some excellent um, dune buggy and ATV and open back Jeep tours that really take you off the beaten path to discover Grenada and, you know, some of, you know, like the, the seaside villages and things like that. Um, and you get to meet and interact with locals. That's a very popular tour that we do here. Um, of course, we are surrounded by water. So the ocean is a big part of our life as well. So there's lots of great sailing excursions, fishing excursions that you can go on. All of the water sports, you can water sport to your heart's content in Grenada. Paddleboarding is excellent here. Kayaking is excellent here as well. 
Um, Seiko, am I missing anything? Well, we do have the Underwater Sculpture Park. The Underwater Sculpture Park, you can get to that park by, um, and you can get to the park for about 10 minutes from shore. So you don't take a very long time commuting from the shore to any dive site on the island. The Underwater Sculpture Park was actually named by National Geographic as one of the wonders of the world, Earth's most amazing places. You can actually view the Underwater Sculpture Park from while you um, scuba dive or from snorkeling, or you can see from a glass bottom boat if you don't want to get wet. In addition to the Underwater Sculpture Park, we do have lots of wrecks on the island. Excellent wreck diving. And we actually have the largest wreck dive in the Caribbean, which is the Bianca Sea. It's for advanced divers. It's an actual cruise liner that sunk off the coast of Grenada in the 60s. So you can imagine how massive that underwater is. All right? It is huge. And it's like a, usually like a, it's a to-do for most divers. Right. right. Excellent, excellent other uh, wreck dives. We have a wreck dive for every level of divers, from beginner, intermediate, and advanced level divers. And we have our sister island of Kariaku. Kariaku is about an hour and a half by ferry. And usually the dolphins would escort the ferry on the way to Karakou. So you don't have to pay for a dolphin excursion if you go to Karakou and you're in Grenada. You know, the dolphins are always there escorting the ships to Karakou. So we're, we're checking off some major things here. So we've got, you know, it's safe. We've got adventure checked off. And it sounds like you have nature pretty much wrapped up here too, with dolphins following boats and hiking in the rainforest. Are we missing yeah. anything? Um, well, we did mention, we touched on chocolate a little bit earlier. We have five chocolate factories here. Um, they each are unique. They each create their own specialties. Um, they each do, you know, their own unique tours. Um, so those are all very interesting to visit as well. We have really got the whole bean to bar chocolate experience down pat. The chocolate here is beyond beyond magical it is so good luckily dark chocolate is good for you so that is that is quite a big scene in Grenada the, the the chocolate scene is quite huge we have a chocolate festival every year that is very very popular um and we very much encourage visitors to that it usually takes place in May um so that is another big um big plus um I noticed that there are a lot of festivals that's right we yeah. have uh, lots of festivals for any month of the year there's a festival in Grenada or Cariacou because Grenada is a tri-island state it's made up of Grenada, Cariacou and Piti Martinique uh there's a festival on almost all the islands on every given month of the year so in Cariacou we have our regattas there's also um carnival in Cariacou as well as in Grenada. So there are two uh, carnivals in Grenada and Caracou. There's a uh, regattas in Grenada, Caracou and Piti Martinique. There's a Maroon and Stringman Music Festival in Caracou. There's a dive festival in October. There's a Spice Mass in August. There is, uh, what am I missing? There's a chocolate festival in May. And usually every year around April is when we open the track and field um, season for all the elite athletes. So um, all the elite athletes will open their track and field season in Grenada. So we have big names like uh, Asafa Powell and Tyson Gig, And those big guys come into Grenada to open their season. And those races are usually um, broadcasted on ESPN. So that's usually in, in, in April. We have... Um, we also have a corn festival that happens in Karakou. We have a Parang festival that happens in Karakou as well. That's in December. Now, Parang is kind of like um, a local kind of, kind of mishmash put together music. Um, so, and it's really based around Christmas time. So they have a Parang festival in December. I would have to say carnival. The carnivals are probably our biggest and most popular festivals, you know, because there's just, there's so much heritage involved in it. Um, lots of our local characters, you know, um, like the shortneys and the jab jabs, you know, that's, that's when they really kind of play a big part. Um, so the carnivals are extremely popular. We also have a billfish tournament. Um, sports fishing is also very popular in Grenada. So okay. as I said, pretty much every month of the year, there is some big festival going on and it's not even just festivals because of course with the festivals come all of the outer activities as well so there's parties and there's fets and you know we have full moon parties every month like it's there's a lot to do in Grenada. okay so that sounds like people have to actually plan a little before they leave 
So where is the best place for them to go to start planning and start uh, Grenada Dreaming? Well, our website is a really good resource, uh, puregrenada.com. And also, um, you can follow us on social media also. We are, our hashtag, uh, Pure Grenada or Discover Grenada on social media, Facebook and Instagram. And we update it quite often, you know. So, you know, you're never um, out of any resources when you want to visit the island. You know, just type in puregrenada.com on Google, Grenada, Pure Grenada, Spice of the Caribbean. Any potential visitors can feel free to get in touch with us as well. Okay, That's we'll correct. put all of that up on the video that's going to go out on social. And cool. thank you so much for joining me today. Thank, thank you. you. That was great, Candice. Thank you so much. Thanks, Candice. Joining me now is my on-demand Anne. Hi, Anne. <laughs> I gotta tell you, this heat is is oppressive. I had to straighten my bangs twice this morning. <laughs> I mean, the, str the struggle is real. The struggle, the struggle is, real. is so real, and it's a pandemic. <laughs> yes, but I mean, honestly, could there be anything else? Actually, let's not say that. Probably twenty twenty. There could be something else. But that being said, we're gonna stick with the air conditioning this week. What can't we miss uh, while we're cooling off inside? Oh, there's four shows that I really like. The first one is American Woman, which is available on VOD with Sarah Gaddon, who's a well-known uh, and young and very, very gifted Canadian actor. She was Grace in Alias Grace. So she plays Patty Hearst in a Canadian film on, a, uh, on an American topic of great interest. Patty Hearst, of course, was the uh, uh, granddaughter of... William Randolph Hearst, who was the media magnet and who built St. Simeon. So she is, was very well-to-do, and she was just minding her own business at university when she was kidnapped by the Symbionese Liberation Army and was forced to take part in various radical events like bank robberies. And we see her wielding this rifle, and you think, how could that happen? How could, how could a woman with that kind of privilege and, and insular life willingly accept this role of, of uh, radical, but she did for a time. And this film looks at her journey in hiding after that bank robbery. They were in hiding for eight months. And she, was, she told her mother that she was a, a prisoner of war, but it really leaves it open as to whether she wanted to be with them or she wanted to get away from a leader who was becoming increasingly abusive. So it's really an interesting look. It's not the greatest film ever made. I'll tell you that right now. But to give some insights, it's based on a novel. So it's not necessarily factual. But it shows you her emotional journey, being this prisoner, trying to plan an escape. And it's like a woman escaping a bad marriage. So, you know, I think a lot of people will really identify with it. Right. So I think that's very well worth seeing. Um, again, no Oscar, but an interesting story. And where is that available? VOD. VOD. Okay. Uh, Irresistible. I love Steve Carell. So tell me about Irresistible because this actually looks quite funny. It is hilarious. John Stewart wrote and directed it. So Steve Carell plays a, strateg a democratic strategist. And he happens to see this viral video of a farmer out in Wisconsin addressing the town hall, trying to get changes made to help the farmer. Uh, the video is just a sensational hit. So he goes out to this small place and he's such a Manhattan, you know, slicker, and he's totally a fish out of water and he expects the people to be dumb and country. They're not at all. Uh, so he decides to ask this fellow to run for office on the Democratic ticket there. So it's, it's about grooming him and the guy's kind of reluctant. And then Rose Byrne shows up. She's the strategist for the Republican who's, who's running for mayor. And the two of them have a long, difficult history, plus they sleep together. So just the lines are sensational. Just boom, boom, boom. The wit and the delivery from Steve Carell is always top rate. And it looks like it really is a statement on oh, our current state of politics. Yeah, yeah. It's scarily eerily familiar. <laughs> okay, so next up we got a docu-series. 
I'll be yes. gone in the dark. I'll be gone in the dark. Patton Oswald's late wife, Michelle McNamara, was a crime podcaster and studied the case of a man who had not been caught. He'd been raping women uh, and murdering women since the 70s all across California. So she dubbed him the uh, Golden State Killer. Followed him, tried to solve the, the, the mystery of who he was because he was never apprehended. Um, and then she gets some co-podcasters to help her out. And the stress becomes, she loves it, but the stress becomes so overwhelming um, that she died of an accidental overdose. Uh, before the book and before the documentary was finished, her friends finished it for her with the help of Pat Oswald. Um, and it's no spoiler to say the guy was eventually captured in in his eighties, completely infirm. Um, I gotta tell you, this is so informative and interesting. It's so scary. I I divided it up. I couldn't watch anymore at night. I had to watch it in broad daylight. It's that scary. So, you know, on HBO. <laughs> okay. A little bit of warning for people. Caution, then. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, we've got like 30 seconds left. What else can oh, we miss? Year of the Rabbit, London, uh, maybe 1830 or whatever. And the police are corrupt. Um, the language is so foul and blue. This is on topic. Um, and a, a black woman who is, who is, treated with racism and sexism wants to move her way up in the police force and become a detective and all these street crazies that we meet in London. It's so funny. I cannot repeat a single line to you. <laughs> well, I watched the trailer and laughed out loud. Uh, so I am Unreal. going to actually be looking for this one for sure this weekend. Uh, <laughs> but for more, uh, people can go to what she said, talk.com to see what else is on this weekend and, and catch all the trailers. Thanks, Candace. Thank you, Ann. Bye. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. I'm starting to heal and find some faith. I'm starting to feel what's out of We've all seen the memes and jokes around the hashtag quarantine 15. And there's no doubt that when our emotions are high, many of us turn to emotional eating. When is it normal and when does it become a problem, though, is what we're talking about today. Christine McPhail is a feminist, weight-inclusive, health-at-every-size-aligned registered dietitian. She is responsible for the Hopewell Eating Disorder Support Center outreach activities and for coordinating and delivering their prevention program, Celebrate Everybody for Youth. Welcome to the show, Christine. Hi, thank you. <laughs> so let's talk about emotional eating because I feel like a lot, of, you know, there was a lot of jokes around this at the beginning. People were stockpiling, uh, you know, their favorite chips. Uh, <laughs> do we need to be concerned about emotional eating? So the short answer is absolutely not. Um, what we do need to be worried about is that fear that is associated with emotional eating. So when you talk about the fear that's associated, what, is our, what are the fears? So exactly what you said. People are, are very afraid of, of weight gain and what that means. Um, and that's really reflective of the culture that we live in, um, which is diet culture. Right. And you had mentioned, so we recorded a longer podcast about this, and I encourage everybody to go over and listen to it. But you mentioned fat phobia. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That is a big thing in our society. So people are afraid they're going to take, put on this weight and, and become fat and not lose it. Uh, yeah. And that is not something we really should be worrying about. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, we've, we've stigmatized larger bodies or fat bodies. And, and I use the word fat openly because it is that word that we don't use it in a kind way very often, but really we all have fat on our body and some people are fat. It's not necessarily a bad thing. So, um, yeah. Is there a point where emotional eating though will become dangerous or maybe red flags should be raised? Mm -hmm. 
That's a great question. So, you know, emotional eating is a part of normal eating. Um, you know, food, you know, is, is not just fuel, right? It's this thing that we use for comfort and joy and celebration. And so I really want to really make that message. That's the take home message. But um, when it becomes an issue, I would say is when people are struggling and they use food to cope, but they don't have other coping mechanisms, um, you know, or they're using food to escape the root issues or emotions that, yeah, that they're trying to avoid. And so if we go to food to cope, that's great. But if we never look at why we're coping, that, that can be an issue, right? There's always underlying feelings, whether it's anxiety or boredom or sadness, um, disconnection, right? Isolation. There's so many things that could be underlying emotional eating that we might want to take a chance to look at. There are a lot of people at home right now, I know personally myself, who have been baking nonstop, <laughs> who are quite happy to hear that this is all normal and this is, and this is good. Let's talk a little bit quickly about how, what you do, though, um, for the disorders you do help. So um, when we're looking at eating disorders specifically, um, you know, we're trying to help people normalize their relationship with food. And so, you know, emotional eating is a part of everyone's relationship with food. Um, but there's lots of reasons why, um, you know, sometimes we think it's emotional eating when actually it's deprivation. And so we do work on things like um, trying to make sure that we have food at home, that we're eating regularly enough, that we don't have labels around food being good and bad. Um, food security, making sure that people do have access to food in the first place is super important. Um, and yeah. So diet culture is everywhere. We, we can't escape it. Uh, how do you, are there tips you recommend for people to combat that? Yes. So working on your own relationship with food, um, certainly uh, one approach that's really helpful is intuitive eating. Um, that's one of many, but it's that idea of really trying to acknowledge how has diet culture affected you, right? Do you value certain bodies over others? Do you um, criticize yourself when you gain weight or cheer yourself on when you um, lose weight? Um, it's good to explore that and do a lot of education. Um, and as I mentioned in the podcast, trying to get your education, not just from those really like loud voices that are predominant. So looking at those marginalized communities and, and trying to actually find content written by people living in larger bodies. Um, that's the way we understand people's lived experience is by actually learning from them. Do you anticipate any, uh like an increase in your in the need for your services with and around COVID-19? Yes, absolutely. So the isolation, the stress and anxiety um, that has gone with COVID-19 um, absolutely puts more people at risk. And for those who are struggling, um, you know, we've seen people reaching out more and, and struggling more because they don't have access to the same supports. So when we and if we <laughs> move towards you know real life or normal life again um you know I, I expect that we will have a lot of people coming out of this really needing a lot of mental health support okay so if people want to connect with you and learn more where can they go so you can visit um hopewell.ca as our website and you can follow us on twitter facebook and instagram at hopewell ottawa okay wonderful thank you so much for joining me today christine Thank you. Maybe together we can get somewhere. Any place is better. Starting from zero, got nothing to lose. Maybe we'll make something. Me, myself, I got nothing to prove. If you thought March break was long, summer break is here to say, hold my beer. With a province still unsure how school is going to roll out in the fall, camps still not entirely open, parents are scrambling to figure out what are they going to do with these kids. Joining me today is Yashi Murphy from Parenting to Go. Yashi regularly shares stories about condo living, traveling with young kids, and parenting. We have all been watching Yashi through this quarantine because she keeps her kids pretty busy. So she's going to share some innovative and budget-friendly ways to keep your kids amused this summer. Welcome to the show, Yashi. Hi there. How are you? So I have to admit, I have been watching you. Uh, my kids are not as young as yours, but I have been watching with keen interest. You have definitely been keeping your kids busy. That's my mission. If they're busy, then they'll be tired at night. And then once they go to bed, I can continue to work, right? So that's my thinking. 
Excellent. So I really, I w- I'm, what I really want is some concrete things people can do. Uh, so I'm going to leave it to you to go from here, but right. here are some of your best, uh, best activities. All right. So what I do, I think the best thing I do is every Sunday night, I just sit down and create a schedule for the week. And this way I know what I'm supposed to be doing when, and so do the kids. So they start their morning with screens. And this is where I think parents need to figure out when do you need time to do your work. So for me, I need the morning free up for myself. So they'll watch some screens and then come the activities. So uh, we do various things. So first up, I divide the day into backyard activities. If you do have a backyard, the biggest tip I can give you is to go and buy some toys for the backyard. And it doesn't have to be hearty, expensive stuff. I bought a blow up pool for 20 bucks, uh, found an old tent in the basement that we were able to pull up and put that out. And that gives the kids some space to keep going outside and just off the screens. You still have to be outdoors, especially if there's a pool concerned with young kids. Uh, But I get to work outside while watching them. And that's definitely so invest in some backyard toys. Um, But the other thing we do is we come up with themes for the week. And because we love to travel, and we can't travel anymore, we are kind of thinking back on those trips. And so each day might be okay, today we are going to be talking about Germany. So, you know, we can watch some videos or go through pictures of our trip, but we'll also get together as a family and cook in the afternoon a meal that's German themed. So, hey, you get your dinner sorted too, get the kids in the kitchen. They could do some math and learning unknowns to them. Um, But the other thing I do is also a lot of the tourism sites will have uh, printouts. So with my kids being young, they are six and eight. I will go to the certain websites, if you even think of Toronto, right? So if you come to Toronto, visit a CN Tower, go to the CN Tower website or wherever it is and print out something that they can color. And so it's still keeping them busy. And these are cheap activities that, you know, you can just keep on hand. And when you need to hop on a call, here's a coloring sheet. I'll be back in 10 minutes. Kind of <laughs> So uh, that's definitely something that we do. Um, And then we also do themes like spa days. And instead of me treating the kids, this is the way you have to get a little dirty. You let the kids treat you. So mine did my makeup one day. (laughs) They did my hair another day, which ended up with powder in there. But you know what? It's all fun and creating memories. And I allocate those hours so I can be with them. So I'm not working during those hours. The afternoon is to play with them and get messy with them. So uh, you could do spa days. We have done camping. I think camping is a very easy one that a lot of families have done. If you don't have a backyard, get your tent in your living room. Build a fort with those couches. Just do something. Give them a treat, some s'mores, milkshakes. Treats help a lot. So I am not ashamed to admit I pull out the treats regularly. I think, we can, all, I think we can all let go of the whole bribery is bad thing right now in a pandemic. If bribes are what are getting you through, <laughs> bribe away. Yeah, exactly. Consider it a reward, you know, change your mindset. <laughs> exactly. So um, that's thing. And another tip that I shared is that I know this isn't great for the environment, but I go to the dollar store once a month and I just buy random things and I make a box. And so when the kids need to do something, they need something new, or if I have to hop on a call or do something, I'll tell them, go grab a toy. One toy, something small, this is something cheap, and that'll keep them busy. They just love something new. And especially because we're not roaming around anymore. We're not going to visit new places. This is just one of the ways that I am keeping everybody sane and happy. And how do you, how are you managing then to find sort of a balance between, uh, I mean, I know now, right now you're bubbling with your parents. So you're in a, um, you're in a home with a yard, but when you're in your condo in downtown Toronto, how are you managing that reality? Yes, it's a very different reality, condo living versus a house. Um, So it was the same thing. So the challenge with our condo, uh, especially at the start of the pandemic, was that we did not have access to our rooftop. All the amenities were closed, so you you no longer have the pool or the basketball court. So we stayed at home. 
we had the similar schedule and I did similar activities indoors. So into an outdoor obstacle course one day, we set up an obstacle course in a tiny living room where the kids got to punch the couches, the couch pillows as one station, then they had a skipping station. So you just think of different ways to bring those same activities indoors. That's what condo families have been doing for years. We continue to do it. Um, but I think as we are all moving into different stages now, there is a little more opportunity to figure out where the safe spots are, right? So even in Toronto, I know where there's a green grass, grassy area that the kids can go run around in and not be next to anybody for a good 10 to 20 feet. So it's, and I think we will be doing those more uh, as we go back to Toronto as well. So it's and really about getting creative uh, and thinking outside of the norms. Like you said, knowing those spaces, reaching out to other parents and asking if they know of a space that you can get to outside that's safe to be in uh, as far as socially distancing. I think we all saw, uh, you know, across Canada, we all saw the Trinity Bellwoods fiasco. We are not uh, looking to replicate that, obviously. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with our kids. Um, so... Are there resources that you're turning to to find these spaces or um, are you listing this on your website of things to do and places to go? So, yes. Well, two parts. One is I think you, you know your neighborhood and I'm not encouraging anyone to go traveling beyond your neighborhood. So if you're, if you're doing a day trip, that's very different. But for your everyday means, you know your neighborhood best, um, but also follow the local resources that you rely on because in my case yes if anyone's coming to downtown toronto or you live in downtown toronto reach out to me i, I can tell you where the parks are um, i have a bunch of different sites over the years because every summer this is the same story for me i've had them in what i call camp yash they haven't gone to camp they haven't done anything else they've stayed with me um, so we've been sharing those it's uh reach i share it all the time on social media as well i know some other parents who live downtown do the same um, and then when you're traveling, obviously, I think the tourism boards are doing a good job at highlighting some of the non-crowded spots. <laughs> um, but because we're right now in Niagara-on-the-Lake, and I found places that I'm shocked I'd never been to before, but I just happened to stumble upon it now. So, uh, yeah. So what has been your favorite activity that you've done in quarantine with your kids? Because we are coming up to, uh, you know, well past 100 days of this. Uh, have there been a few highlights for you? You know what the funny thing for us is that I kind of let my kids take this over, but we started doing live streams and I just did it as a joke in the start, just to keep everybody engaged, tell them, show them what Toronto life was like, but it now has evolved into the kids taking over. So every Monday they insist on cooking a treat together and every Friday we make drinks together. So they make mocktails, I make cocktails and it's, it's something where I'm like, I'm done. I want to take a week off and they do not let me do that. So it's been great because we're trying new things and getting them in the kitchen. It's been messy, but that's what this whole <laughs> pandemic is about. Right. And I, and I want to discourage, I want to discourage people, uh, you know, chasing after perfection. So has there been a disaster, something you'll never do again? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> On a daily basis. <laughs> We, um, well, obviously in the kitchen, you guys can imagine, we've had disasters, even on the live stream. I once took out, because we were emptying the pantry, we pulled out this old bag of oats that was in the back of the cupboard, started cooking live, and there were bugs in there. Oh, no. <laughs> so we've had disasters in the kitchen, <laughs> pretty big ones like that, but we're sharing it all. Um, other than that, I mean... My biggest fear is the kids getting hurt and having to take them to the hospital, which we haven't <laughs> had to do yet. So uh, the like every our life is full of disasters, is how I put it. Like I just laugh it off, so I don't think about it too much. Which is what makes your content so great, and I want people to go and look and 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 look and see and watch what you're doing and get inspiration to have fun and let go with their kids. So where can they do that? You can find us on our website, ParentingToGo.ca. I'm all over on social media. It is under my name, which is very long, Yashianti. But if you go to the website, you'll find all the links and uh, come join us. I like to chat with everyone. So reach out. Excellent. So we're going to put all that information up on the video that goes out on social. And thank you so much for joining me today, Yashi. Thanks for having me.
stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. What's wrong with being, what's wrong with being, what's wrong with being confident? Uh What's wrong with being, what's wrong with being, what's wrong with being confident? I don't know about you, but the minute summer hits, all my nutrition resolve goes out the window as I reach for classic summertime favorites like hot dogs, creamy potato salads, and ice-cold slushies. Thankfully today, though, Shauna Thomas, a holistic nutritional consultant for over a decade, mom to three very active kids, and founder of Hockey Snacks, is here to share some delicious and nutritious swaps for some of those old fallbacks. Welcome to what she said, Shauna. Thank you so much for having me. So, you know, honestly, barbecue season hits and it's like everything goes off the rails. I want those easy, fast meals. So help us out. What can we reach for and, and some nutritious substitutions? Well, I think the first thing that we need to think about is to not, you know, completely give up everything that we love. Um, there are some really simple and like tiny changes you can make that can really increase the nutrition and lower all that bad stuff that you're putting into your body. So you don't have to give everything up, but with a little bit of planning and some really easy swaps, you can definitely make those barbecues more nutritious. So it's not about uh, depriving yourself of things. It's just about making some smart substitutions, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's more about, you know, what that food is giving you. So things like, you know, you mentioned creamy potato salad. You know, I love potato salad. And the ones that you buy are just like gross with mayonnaise and all that stuff. And I mean, forget about leaving it out in the sun too, right? Like that's a whole nother issue. But swapping it for things like Greek yogurt based or even avocado based sauces and things like that, you're still getting that creaminess of what you want from the potato salad, but it's doing your body more good than harm. Yeah, you know, like you said that, and you know, I have a potato salad that I use uh, olive oil in. And it's, it's one of my favorites and it's actually substituted the one that I used to use mayonnaise in. So uh, give me, uh, do you have any other substitutions? Oh my gosh, I have so many. So, um, you know, that's a great suggestion. So going for things like vinaigrettes um, or even just swapping up your salad completely. Don't do the potato salad. Maybe do a quinoa salad or a bean salad or have that green salad. Um, Those are some really excellent options that everybody likes. And once they're made, you're going to eat them, right? It's what's put in front of you, you're going to eat. Um, things like dessert, you know, we always make these big cakes or um, cupcakes or cobblers and things that are really high in sugar. But if what we're looking for is that sweetness, there are so many fruits available to us in Canada that are local and sweet and fresh. I mean, biting into really cold, sweet watermelon, you know, things like that. When they're put out on the barbecue table, those are really excellent options for adults and kids alike. Um, Also, you know, when you're thinking about, you mentioned slushies, you know, I mean, there's nothing like having an ice cold slushy on a really hot day, but it's really just sugar. Like that's all it is, sugar and food coloring. So what else do you have? You can make water more interesting by adding fruit to it, citrus, you can have bubbly water. There's so many options now that you can buy. You know, my kids, whenever they drink anything out of a can, they think it's such a treat. But now there's, you know, no sodium, no sugar, uh, sparkling waters that they really enjoy. And yeah, that's the, been an interesting yeah. shift in the marketplace that I've noticed recently is there is a massive shift from these super high calorie, sugary drinks to no sugar at all and just natural flavors, which I think is great. It is so great. And like I said, they come in the fun colors and all these cans and bottles. And so it's really fun for kids as well. If you, and if they see you drinking them too, being an example is number one, right? Um, so another really great option um, that I like for um, barbecues and even just like fun summer ideas is instead of like those chips and things like that, 
Go for something that's crunchy, that still gives you that mouthfeel, like a crunchy vegetable or popcorn or, um, you know, trail mix, some crunchy nuts, some roasted nuts. And that's still going to give you what maybe what you're craving, which is the crunch or maybe the salt of the chips or pre-portion. Another really great option is you don't have to deprive yourself, but maybe get the self-serve bags or if that's not your jam, you know, get little bowls for everybody that they can have. And then it's, you know, you're not overdoing it. You're not sitting next to a massive bowl of chips. Okay. Tell me a little bit about the orange and green challenge. You talk about that um, on one of the articles I read on your website. Yes. So I love this green and orange challenge. And what it's about is instead of taking things out of your diet, because we all feel like, oh, I have to take this out if I want to be healthier. The green and orange challenge is all about adding things in. So it's really about changing your mindset. So every day for 30 days, I encourage you to eat one thing that's green and one thing that's orange. And it can be anything. It can be a pickle and a carrot. It can be spinach and butternut squash. You can get really creative with it. Um, and even at the end of the day, if you're like, oh man, I didn't need anything green and orange, just have carrots and celery um, or make a smoothie. doesn't matter. But what you're doing is adding in those good nutritious foods and that slowly but surely will take away um, the room for all the unhealthy stuff. Right. It's like James Clear talks about in his book, Atomic Habits, is that 1% chan change a day will eventually add up to a big change, right? Absolutely. So if, so if people want to know more about you and hockey snacks, and, and where can they find you? Well, I'm on Facebook. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. Um, and of course, on the website, hockeysnacks.com. Um, they can also sign up for my newsletter and I have great recipes and great content information for everybody there. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Shauna. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. That's it for What She Said for this week. Be sure to follow me on What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify for extended podcasts with Laura Walton and Christine McPhail. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.